I want to welcome you to the Death of America series. This is a study that, oh, I don't know how to say it. I've been putting off for a long time. The more I thought about doing this study, the more I thought about not doing it, (laughs) if that makes sense to you. Knowing the things that I would have to discuss, knowing the things that would have to be said in this study. However, given the fact that this country is at its precipice, there's no question, I can no longer put this off. This is probably the most important study that you will ever hear me do. Now, before we get started, I do want to point out that this series is called The Death of America. This is not called Death to America. I want to make that very clear. I am not anti-American. I am not anti-government. I believe in order. I believe in government. This nation was built upon government. Three explicit forms, three explicit branches of government, right? This beautiful system of checks and balances. That's what this nation was built upon. You know, I feel blessed to have the luxury of growing up in a nation where we are free to worship Yeshua whenever we want. We're free to worship and we're blessed to be here today, to come here together and to worship our king. We have the liberty to do that. I feel blessed that there have been men and women who are willing to sacrifice their lives for this liberty, for this freedom that we have. So before we go any further, I need you to understand that I do not seek the destruction of America. I don't long for it. I want America to be blessed. This is what I seek, not destroyed. Now, I wrote a statement last night that really sums this up, of how I feel and, 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 and what's on my heart in regard to the nation. And this is, um, this is what I said. Oh, how I long for to live in a nation where its government represents the will of the people, and the will of the people represents the will of God. So, that's my heart. I want this nation to be blessed. Now, with that said, I want you to know that we are going to today, we're going to be gently easing into this series. But as we continue, things are going to get intense. They're going to get hotter and hotter. And you are going to feel the great weight of the reality of what is actually taking place in this country. Now, there are two main objectives that I have in this study. The first is this, to warn you of what is coming. Based off the actions, the decisions, the behaviors that we see being displayed in this country, it's imperative to warn you of what to expect because something is coming, and I need to warn you. Now, the second main objective is something that I really don't see being addressed with appropriately enough. It's not being dealt with on a real spiritual level. And that is how to prepare for what is coming. There are so many people that really have no idea what to do. They have no idea of how to handle what they're really not sure is coming, but yet they feel it. So these are the two main objectives in this series. Now, I want to begin today by opening up with a passage that really was the main thrust for me to push me over the edge to actually do this series that I don't want to do. So, and the point of this is you need to thank Yeshua for this series. Don't thank me for doing it. 
because he actually brought me to this passage. And prior to this, I was really I was on the, I was on the uh, the other side of the fence. I was just going to not deal with these issues with what's going on. But then I read this Ezekiel thirty three verse one. Again, the word of the Lord said to me, saying, "Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon the land." And the people of the land take a man from their territory and make, them, make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. Now in this passage, you see the beauty, the benefit of having a watchman standing, doing what he is called to do. Even despite that, yes, there will be some people, as the passage alludes to, that will not listen. But their blood will be on their own head. But there will be other people who will listen, and because they heard the watchman, they will preserve themselves alive. Now it goes on. This is what, this is this next verse is what brought me to this point today. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear the word from my mouth and warn them for me. Immediately upon reading this passage, I knew I had to do this series. No, in my flesh, I don't want to deal with it. But this isn't an option. For me, this is about being a watchman. A watchman on the wall. It's about me fulfilling my task and position which the Lord's entrusted to me. I have to warn you of what is coming because I see it. And I know what's coming. I have to warn you of the impending crisis that's about to be unleashed upon this nation. And furthermore, I have to tell you how to prepare. That's my job. Now, if you just step back and look at what is going on in this country, it's pretty clear that there's something ominous that lurks in the air. Something that appears to be blanketing this entire country. I mean, you can feel it. It's almost suffocating. What was thought to be the greatest nation on the earth, the most powerful, the most influential, the most financially wealthy, the greatest military might on the earth is being gripped with fear. The inhabitants of this land are terrified over the unknown destruction of what is about to come upon this nation. And it's not just believers who are picking up on this vibe. This is what should startle you. It's not just believers. It is also unbelievers. Both believers and non-believers alike, they, they're scattering about in every direction in almost this chaotic, bizarre act of confusion. It's frightening. I mean, just look around you and you'll find Americans everywhere. They are clamoring with fear. Everywhere. Turn on the TV. You notice the latest trend? More and more TV shows about this impending, this terrifying crisis that is about to be unleashed upon the United States of America. Shows like uh, Extreme Survival, Survivor Man, 
surviving disaster, doomsday bunkers. I mean, think about that for a second. I want you to think about that. We have people digging holes in the ground to hide from what is coming. This is what they're doing. And they can't even keep up with the list of orders they have. There's so many people digging holes in the earth to hide from what is coming. It's amazing. Think about that for a second. Doomsday preppers. You have people all over this nation preparing for some form of disaster, preparing for total devastation, total collapse. Let me give you a few examples of the things that they are preparing for. Number one, a financial collapse. Now, we all know the media, the Internet, is overloaded with the impending crisis of the financial state of the U.S. I mean, the U.S. dollar is in jeopardy of no longer being the world currency. We're in jeopardy of defaulting on our debts. And the only answer that we have is to print money with no end in sight. Many respectable and responsible economists, I can tell you this, they are terrified. It's worth quoting Michael Schneider in his economic blog. He says this, Some of the most respected prognosticators in the financial world are warning that what is coming in 2014 and beyond is going to shake America to the core. And then let me list some of these prognosticators of which he is quoting. Mike Maloney, I think the crash of 2008 was just a speed bump on the way to the main event. The consequences are going to be horrific. The rest of the decade will bring us the greatest financial calamity in history. Think about that statement, the weight of that statement in history. Mark Faber, man I've followed for years, you have to say that we are again in a massive financial bubble and bonds, and equities, and other asset prices that have gone up dramatically. Now, if you follow the economists, if you follow the economy, if you're involved in this stuff, you understand the weight of what he just said. This is cataclysmic, of what he just said. Jim Rogers, you saw what happened in 2008, 2009, which was worse than the previous economic setback. Because the debt was so much higher. Well, now the debt is staggeringly much higher. And so the next economic problem, whenever it happens and whatever causes it, is going to be worse than in the past because we have these unbelievable levels of debt and unbelievable levels of money printing all over the world. Be worried and get prepared. Now, a collapse may not happen until 2016 or something. I have no idea when it's going to happen, but when it comes... Be careful. These are what the foremost economists are saying. The German chancellor, or the German chancellor, the German finance minister, rather, Wolfgang, he says the default of the United States is actually unthinkable. The consequences are hard to calculate. We have a serious problem. Because this country, I'm going to tell you, we're going to end up defaulting. This is going to happen. Let me read to you one more from my favorite economist that I've followed for almost a decade. His name is Peter Schiff. He's a Jewish man, and he has an amazing way of describing current financial situations and parables and metaphors. And look at what he says. Before the current economic crisis became apparent to all, 
The most popular fable used to describe America's uncanny economic resiliency was the story of Goldilocks. It was argued that our economy was skipping down a sunny path of moderate growth and low inflation and rising asset prices. However, a much better parable uh, for our economy over the last decade would have been the story of Humpty Dumpty, a bloated, fragile shell perched on the top of a dangerously high stone wall. Do you understand what he's saying? What happens in the story of Humpty Dumpty? He falls, and they cannot pick him up. They cannot put him back together again. A total collapse. That's what this statement is saying. One that cannot even experience recovery. And I could go on for days talking about the impending financial crisis. I could show you quote after quote, video after video, article after article of the fear and terror of what is happening with our economy and its forecasts. But the simple point I'm trying to make here is that the looming financial crisis is not something that nobody knows about or that nobody's talking about because everybody's talking about it. The people are freaking out. Look around you. Turn your TV on. Watch the news. People all over this country are moving their money. They're moving their savings. They're moving their money out of the... They're they're, they're cashing out of their 401ks, taking huge hits. They're trading in their U.S. dollars for gold and silver. People are moving their money out of the U.S. stock market with the anticipation of a total market collapse. And they're starting to invest in foreign markets, into, into markets like Asia. People are taking their cash out of banks. More and more people are withholding more and more cash from the banks in anticipation of bank holidays. You notice the latest trend of what's going on on a global scale right now? Banks are imposing restrictions, limitations on the amount of money their customers can take out. You've been reading these things? Look at what's happening. Open your eyes. There are people, ponder this. There are people moving out of the United States. Americans all over the country are getting out. Ponder that. The one nation on earth that has drawn literally almost from every country in the world drawn people here to live here. Like a magnet, this country is drawn from every country under the sun. But now, we have people fleeing the country. We have people leaving. I know some very well-to-do businessmen that had left two years ago. The people are leaving this country. Terror and fear has stricken the land. But this isn't all the people are worried about. If you ever watch those prepping shows, there's a variety of calamities that they're preparing for. Calamities such as earthquakes, volcanic activity, cosmic events of some kind. I mean, they're preparing for these things. There's a lot of people preparing for these. Epidemic breakout. You have people preparing for this. Bioterror. People are scared. They're overcome with fear. Terrorist attack. They're preparing for something maybe of the magnitude of 9-11 or bigger. People are preparing for nuclear war. Literally. They're preparing for nuclear war. And you know the dangers of that. You get out of the blasters, you have this radioactive material, this radioactive fallout. It's horrific. We have people preparing for nuclear power plant meltdowns. Uh, Is this real far-fetched? I don't think so. Have you heard of Chernobyl in the 80s? That was devastating. That was horrific. 
I'll spare you the pictures to show you the deformities that came out of there. It was horrifying. And more recently, what about Fukushima? That, we are still feeling the effects of it today. I just read an article the other day on Canada. Canadians are bulk, buying in bulk potassium iodide pills. Canadians, because of what happened in Japan. Because the radiation is coming across. And the fish are glowing all the way to our west coast. I mean, that's what's happening. And then you have to think about, well, is this something that Americans should be concerned about? Well, we have 104 nuclear reactors in the U.S., 65 operating nuclear power plants in 31 different states. The U.S. is the world's largest supplier of nuclear power. This might be something I could see someone being concerned about. What about the CMEs, the solar flares? I was watching an interview uh, not too long ago with the uh, renowned American physicist Michio Kaku, and he was talking about the solar flare that, that, that we experienced, that this country experienced in 1800s, 1859. And back then, I mean, we didn't have the things we have today, but they had the telegraph system. And Mr. Kaku, he was talking about how these solar flares affected, devastated, wreaked havoc on their telegraph systems. And the guy, uh, the guy who was interviewing them said, well, basically, what would happen today? And the way he expressed what would happen today, he said, if that same, just that same magnitude of solar flare happened, that happened in 1859, it would be a hundred times more devastating than Katrina. It would immediately bring this country to a third world country status in one day. We would be back in the Stone Age. That's where we'd be. Think about it. Lights, transportation, cars, you know, you got power plants, all these different facilities, business buildings, computers, banks, phones, nothing would work. Think about that for a second. People are planning for this. They're scared. Physicists are scared. As Mr. Kaku was expressing his serious concern about this, that we are not preparing. In his own mind, he said, we were not prepared for Katrina, and look at what happened. He goes, this would be far worse. This would be a hundred times worse. We have other people plagued with the fear of famine. You ever watch these prepping shows? Man, they got canned food for years. That's what they have. I mean, they're ready to go for years. This is not weeks. This is not months. This is for years because they fear famine is coming. You have other people preparing for civil unrest. We've reached record numbers in gun sales in the last couple of years. Record levels of ammunition. You can't get ammunition. And if you can, it's expensive. People are preparing for civil unrest, which really... You could take any one of these disasters, this will be a symptom of it. This will be a product of almost any disaster. will be civil unrest at least to some degree. The question is, is where is all this fear coming from? Are these things we just mentioned, are all these things that the people are scrambling around in a panic to prepare for, like their heads are cut off, are these fears legitimate? Are they justified? Well, if you peer into the history of this nation, if we step back and look at the things that she has done and the things that she is doing, I can tell you right now, those fears, to some degree, are absolutely justifiable. 
they are legitimate. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I know judgment is coming. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. And there is no escaping the judgment that is coming upon this nation. The fears that are crippling the people all across this country are completely justified. Only, they don't really know, this is the most peculiar aspect of it when I peer out, they don't really know the source of fear. They don't know what the real problem is, let alone how to prepare. I want to show you something from Scripture that when you see it for what it is, you step back and you look at all the fear that is blanketing this country. When you understand what I'm about to show you, it will send chills down your spine. Now the concept at first might be somewhat elusive, but I assure you the bulb is going to go off before we're done. I want to take you to the book of Joshua. Early on we all know the story of Rahab, right? Joshua sends out two spies to go spy out the land, uh, particularly the land of Jericho. And so these spies go out, and and Rahab, obviously, living in Jericho, these spies end up staying at Rahab's house. Well, the king catches wind of this, the king of Jericho. He dispatches his men to go take them into custody. But when they do that, Rahab sends them on a wild goose chase. And she said, oh, well, you know, the men have already gone. Why don't you go catch up with them? At which point we pick up the story, and this is what we read. Joshua 2.8, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, fear, and that all inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Well, what is my point here? The point is very simple. The people of Jericho... They were trembling with fear over what was coming. They were trembling. Their hearts, it says, melted within them. Why? Why? Judgment. That is why. Despite, think about Jericho for a second, despite being safely behind fortified walls, fortified walls, the men of Jericho were consumed with fear. Well, isn't that peculiar? Because when I peer out over this nation, I see the very same fear that the inhabitants of Jericho possessed. A fear of the unknown, a fear of total destruction. And when you look at this story, and then you look at what is happening in America to people right now, it should terrify you. The reality is that the fear that is blanketing this nation, it is a sign. It's a sign of what is to come. It is a sign of God's judgment is about to be unleashed upon this nation. Deuteronomy 2.24. Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Hashbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven. Who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish 
because of you. Let me ask you a question. Who is instilling the fear here to the inhabitants of the land, to to the inhabitants of Jericho? It is God, right? He's the one who caused fear to come upon the land, though they were behind fortified walls. Exodus 23, 27. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. You need to understand, this is exactly what the Lord does when he is about to bring judgment upon a nation. He sends fear. He sends confusion. Look around you. The inhabitants of the richest, most powerful nation on the earth are stricken with fear. We are digging holes in the ground to hide. We have people leaving this country to flee. We're overcome with fear. Understand, fear is the precursor to judgment. Let me prove my point. Going to Leviticus 18.25. In regard to the inhabitants of the land that Israel was coming into, where the Lord said, I would send my fear before you. I will send my fear on them. This is a statement in regard to those people. Leviticus 18.25. For the land is defiled, speaking of the promised land, Therefore, visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. This was a statement made in regard to Israel literally coming into the land of promise and destroying those nations that currently inhabited the land. Why were they destroyed? Why was judgment brought upon them? Sin. Wickedness. The Lord brought Israel into the land to destroy the nations because of their sin. I want you to think about that for a second. Fear being the precursor to judgment. God brought judgment upon these nations. And he's so, our Lord is so brilliant. Obviously an understatement. But do you see how he works things perfectly in his perfect plan? Here he can fulfill his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by bringing his children into the promised land while at the same time raining judgment upon the wicked. It's a perfect plan. It's a perfect plan. Deuteronomy 9.4 Do not think in your heart, this is Moses to, to the children of Israel, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out, meaning the wicked nations, which would include Jericho. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. You understand the Lord's mode of operation? That's why, that's one of the things he accomplished by bringing them into the land. Yes, he fulfilled the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it was also to bring judgment upon the nations. And they had a precursor because they were, he sent his fear before them. That's the precursor, fear. There's a critical biblical concept that I I need you guys to possess. It's a concept that will help you assess what is actually happening in America today. And that is this. The stories that we read about in Scripture, they're not just stories. They're not just stories. They are stories to give us insight, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding in regard to how the Lord works, how he deals with specific situations. You want to understand what's going on in this nation? You need to read your Bible. That's it. Romans 15, verse 4. Whatever things were written before 
It's everything in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and in the New. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, didaskalia. We are to learn from them. That we, through the patience and comforts of the Scripture, might have hope. Moving on to 1 Corinthians 10.1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Mashiach. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples to the intent. Did you catch that? These things that happen in the Tanakh that are recorded in Torah, they are for our examples. They became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down, ate and drank and rose up to play. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, this Gentile nations, and he's saying you better start reading these things and understand these aren't just stories and you better apply them to your life now. You need this wisdom. You need this protection. He goes on in verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Mashiach as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages come. Written for our admonition, in other words, written to warn us. You look at the Greek, it's written to warn us, to protect us. And we go back to the old adage, those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat it. Thus, we need to know our history. First and foremost, we need to know our biblical history. Amen? We also need to know the history of this nation, what she has done in the past, and what she's doing right now. You need to know these things. So we're going to be taking a look at the history of our nation, bits and pieces of it. Not carrying any bias of any kind, but simply looking at things for what they really are. Looking at things through a biblical lens. Seeing the things the way God sees them. Because that's the only way you will see clearly. Amen? And in the process, we are going to discover more signs of judgment. I'm not, saying, I'm not taking what I just explained to you, this precursor of fear, as the only sign that exists in this country to prove that judgment is coming. That's one. There are many others. And we're going to get into those. Now, relatively speaking, I know most of you, if not all, are aware that our nation is fairly young, right? We're not even 240 years old, depending on when you want to calculate the birth. We're a very, very young nation. But we can trace our birth, at least what I would call our formal birth, back to the late 1700s with that famous document known as the Declaration of Independence, as you see here. And the date on it, up at the top, is July 1776. And it actually says, and you probably can't read it, but it says at the top, in Congress, July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration 
of the 13 United States of America. Of the 13 United States of America. Now, you need to remember that there were 13 colonies who had united together to free themselves from the bonds, from the oppression, the tyrannical dictatorship of King George III. This is why they had gotten together. And I'll just show you a little map, and I'm not sure if you can see this, but this is the 13 colonies that got together to draft the Declaration of Independence. And notice the dates on these. These are, these are the dates, 1670, 1653, 1607. 1664, 1635. These are the dates when the colonies were founded. And so in other words, I mean, 1776, you go back 100 years, the colonies existed. So we can see that there was a presence here. There's clearly a presence. All and up and down the East Coast, 13 colonies being present long before they had to draft this declaration. So... My point is, is these 13 colonies banded together to establish uh, their declaration of independence from the, great, uh, from the king of uh, Great Britain, King George III. Now, what I want to do uh, as we get into the closing, I want to read to you a little bit from this document because I think you need to get a feel for what this document says, Right? Uh, the document is not, it's not that long. It's one page. There it is. It's only a one-page document. But how many have you actually read through the whole document? I know there's several. Good job. Many of you have not. We're going to go through this document because I want you to get a feel of the birth, the founding of this nation, and what was in sight. So going to the very beginning, the introduction, this is what it says. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation." And then we get into those famous words that you've all heard. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, meaning rights you cannot take away, you cannot strip them from, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We hold these truths to be self-evident. These are the truths they're talking about. Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. In other words, the very purpose of governments is to support those rights. Okay? Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Deriving their powers, in other words, from the people. They're being empowered by the people. That, when any, uh, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends... It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. In other words, if the government that gets put into place at all veers off of protecting and promoting those evidence 
those truths, those truths of life, liberty, and happiness, that liberty, they're supposed to be taken out. This is what the Declaration of Independence says. This is what they saw. Now let me skip ahead a little bit. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, meaning wrongfully taking the right, you're being usurped, they're wrongfully taking rights, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces, in other words, demonstrates a design to reduce them under absolute depotism. Depotism is tyrannical dictatorship. Okay? Designed to reduce them under absolute tyrannical dictatorship. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies. In other words, he's saying we've went through this far too long. And such is now the necessity of which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having uh, in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. Now, what I'm going to do is, one thing that's interesting, if if you've ever read the Declaration of Independence, one thing you quickly realize is that the majority, and I, I did this on purpose, but if you see this border of what I have here, it essentially, and it's not exact, but this whole thing that's covering this declaration, that is the main body of the declaration. And wouldn't you know it, it's dedicated to dealing with the grievances, to dealing with uh, the, the abuse of power of King George III. And so when you think about it, and you're going to formulate a declaration of independence, we're now going to be independent from Great Britain, we don't want the dictatorship. We don't want the oppression. What do you got to do? You got to submit the evidence. Why? Why are we going to be independent? And so the main body, the majority of the text is dealing with these abuses of power of King George III. Now, what I found fascinating is read, upon reading these abuses, I, I thought you would be interested to know just some of them. I'm not going to read them all, but I want to give you an idea of what they saw as a tyrannical dictatorship. Let's look at some of these. He has refused to assent to laws. In other words, he is, King George III has refused to acquiesce to the laws that are established. He's going beyond. The most wholesome and necessary for public good. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. It's quite a character. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with many firmness his invasions on their rights of the people. He was invading the rights of the people. This is what he was doing. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance, destroying them financially. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislators going around the laws. Military-industrial complex. 
he has, he has affected to render the military independent and superior to, civil, uh, to the civil power. These are unbelievable. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution. I'm going to read this again. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent, he acquiescing, to their acts of pretended legislation. <clears throat> UN. He has imposed taxes on us without our consent for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. Now listen to this final statement here. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Now, after going through this litany of grievances, we eventually come to the closing statement. And I'm just going to read part of it. And, and this is what it says, because this is the declaration. This is what I'm getting to. This is the declaration of separation from what they did. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world, for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, those 13 colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown. And thus, based upon this, we have the birth of a nation. So I just wanted to show you. This is formally the birth of the nation. This is the document. Now next week we're going to continue to go on. We're going to look at some of the history that is involved. And we're going to get a little more spiritual. Uh, with that said, Shabbat Shalom.